bless you. We're going right to the word of the Lord this evening. I welcome you tonight. Thank you for being here. We have uh, started a journey. We're two lessons in. Last week, we talked about the beginning. We talked about God creating the heavens and the earth. We talked about God creating his angels. We talked about the first dispensation of time. Remember this. Dispensation is a time and a period where God deals with mankind in a certain way. We talked about we talked about the dispensation of innocence. That's when Adam and Eve were innocent in the garden of Eden. And this was a this was a time when man uh, knew nothing until they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then we talked about innocence ending in judgment when they were driven from the garden and flaming swords in the hands of cherubims were standing at the garden to, to cause them not to come back in or to the guard the garden. And, of course, then we talked about the wonderful promise that God gave us by the seed of the woman and, of course, the things that he pronounced over the devil and he pronounced judgment over the devil. I preached one time years ago in this church. I preached, and you may remember this, some of you that's been around here a few days. I preached years ago. It's probably 20 years ago now. I hate the devil, and I wish somebody would hate him with me. I may preach that again quick. I hate the devil, and I wish somebody would hate him again or, or hate him with me. Don't you hate the devil? He is nothing but a deceiver and a liar and a trickster, and he's nothing but a troublemaker. I hate the devil, and I wish every one of you would hate him with me today. That's the only person I hate, but I hate the devil. Amen. God bless you. We're going into our third lesson, I hope. Does everybody have a handout? If you don't, put your hand up. We'll make sure. Here's one right here, Brother David, right behind you. Uh, Brother, Brother Dancy, everybody got a handout. Take these. There's one right over there, Sister Deborah, amen. Praise God. Are we out of handouts? Praise God. We got a few. Give Sister Deborah one. Amen. That's a good thing when we run out of handouts. That means the crowd's good. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's talk today about the second dispensation. We, we ended in, uh, with Adam and Eve in the dispensation of conscience. And now after judgment, we, we walk or excuse me, after the dispensation of innocence, we walk into the second dispensation, which is the dispensation of conscience. We'll see it on the board here. And uh, this, this dispensation is where conscience is, is the guide of man. They have no law. God hasn't written the law. They, uh, they are in a time that they've been driven from the garden, and now they're aware of their nakedness, Adam and Eve, and they're aware of their sin, and the judgment has been pronounced, so the time of innocence ended in judgment. And now men have a conscience. A conscience is the faculty by which we know right from wrong, and we begin to function, uh, and it began to function, rather, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They suddenly realized, hey, I'm wrong. How do we know? Because they hid themselves with fig leaves in the garden, and God when he came and found them in the garden, they were hiding with fig leaves. Now, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Tradition reports that Adam and Eve had many children. That's tradition. 
but only three sons were named in the Scripture. And the first one was named Cain because Eve said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She was blessed with childbirth, and she named her son Cain. Soon afterward came a man by the name of Abel. Cain chose to be a farmer. Abel chose to be a shepherd of the field. You see the time, the picture where Cain and Abel were instructed to bring a sacrifice to God. And they brought a sacrifice. Cain brought a sacrifice of the fruit of the ground. But Abel brought a blood sacrifice to the Lord. Evidently, Abel's sacrifice on the altar that day was consumed by the fire of God. But Cain, Cain's offering remained untouched and it was rejected by God. Remember this. This is a very important story because uh, it, it lays out some things for, for us in future Bible study that we need to remember. The Bible said in Hebrews 11 and 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. He was talking about it all the way over in the New Testament, how that Abel offered a sacrifice unto God that was accepted, but Cain, which was not accepted. And then in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11, the Bible said, The life of the flesh, or for it is the blood, excuse me, that maketh an atonement for the soul. It is the blood that maketh an atonement. Blood sacrifice was God's intention from the very beginning. Put that chart back up if you will. Cain's offering was fruit of from a fruit was from the ground, and he thought that would please God, but that's not what God wanted. So Cain became angry. And Cain killed Abel. It was the first murder of the Bible. And God spoke to Cain and said, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? If you do well, you will be accepted. If you do not do well, this is what he said, sin is crouching at the door. Do you know? Boy, I could preach right here. Sin is crouching at the door. And for the first time in the scriptures, the horrible word S-I-N was used in the Bible. And, and then it's, it's sad and dreadful, but it is echoed throughout the scripture. This was the first time sin was used. Because Cain refused to admit his error and his bitterness spread through him like poison, he eventually destroyed and killed his brother. This was, was questioned by God because God said to Cain, where's your brother? And he said, some of you know this scripture, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, I don't know where Abel's at, but God knew where he was at. And so God brought judgment to Cain. Cain became a wanderer. The Bible said, let me, let me read a little bit. He said, now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood. 
henceforth when you till the ground it shall yield you no return. A fugitive and a vagabond will you be. In other words, you're a wanderer from this point on, Cain. And, and, and of course, uh, when, when God spoke these judgments upon Cain, Cain said in his lamentation, he said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. With the earth refusing him sustenance, and Cain was forced to seek occupation of building, of building cities and of mechanical invention. This is, this is what he had to do. He denied a home. He was a wanderer and a nomad. Endless disgrace haunted his steps as men feared to associate with a man marked by God. Because he killed his brother, because he brought a wrong sacrifice, and God was displeased with him, God put judgment upon Cain. Then there came a son by the name of Seth. Seth, when Adam was 130 years old. Another son, Seth, who means substitute. They named him Seth because he was a substitute for Abel. The righteous bloodline of Abel was now restored. And I want you to know something. See that red curve that comes from Seth where it says it marks through Abel and it starts through Seth, that red mark on the, on the chart? If you'll follow that red mark for the rest of our charts, this is the bloodline of Jesus Christ. This is where he, he, he came from. So Seth was born. And, and now the Bible said in Genesis 4 and 26, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. After the birth of Enos, Seth's son, men became God conscious. I, I don't have time to hit every little single thing about this, but here's, here's the bloodline. It was Seth and then Enoch. Anybody ever heard the name of Enoch? Here's what the Bible said about Enoch in Genesis 5.24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Say this with me. Enoch never died. There's only two in the Scripture that I know of that never died. I want to know if you know who the other one is. Elijah. You got it right. Enoch nor Elijah. Why? Because Enoch walked with God, and God reached down and took him. The Bible says that. The Bible teaches us that. The Bible said in Hebrews 11 and 5, the faith chapter, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Is there anybody here that wants to please God tonight? Brother, I'm, I want to look at me. I don't, I want to please you, but I'd rather please God. If it comes down to the nitty gritty, and I got a choice, Enoch walked with God, and the Bible said he pleased God. And in the book of Jude, that one chapter, verse 14 and 15, the Bible said, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, 
the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all and to convince all that are ungodly of their ungodly deeds. So Enoch was a righteous, godly, holy man that was translated by God. I'm hurrying. The world suddenly becomes evil. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, you'll find that. And in an evil world, let me tell you, it got so bad, the world got so evil in Genesis chapter 6 that God repented that he ever made a man. And the Bible said there was one man, Enoch's son. Enoch had a son. His name was Methuselah. Does anybody know anything about Methuselah? He was the oldest man that ever lived. Look, I'll be 69 in a couple of months. I can't imagine 900 more years on this earth. He lived to be 969 years old. If the Lord told me today I had to live 900 years, oh, I'm going to quit right there. I'd like a few more, Lord, but not 900. Amen. Noah was, uh, excuse me, Methuselah was the son of Enoch. And then Methuselah had a son, or excuse me, had a grandson by the name of Noah. Here's what I like about Noah. The Bible said, Noah found grace in the sight of God. So let's move to the next chart. God, to righteous Noah, announced some startling plans. The entire world would be destroyed by a flood. He gave these plans to Noah, and he said, build an ark for you and your family. Only Noah's family would escape the catastrophe that God was about to rain down upon the human race. Everything, every man and beast, everything that was not on the ark would die. Listen to me now. The exact blueprints God gave to Noah for that ark. Noah, if you use an 18-inch cubic, listen, the dimensions of the ark would have been 450 feet long, 75 foot wide, and 45 feet high. If you use a 22 to 25-inch cubic, the ark measured approximately 600 by 100 by 60. That's quite a boat. That's a big boat. That's as big as these cruise ships that, that go around. So the ark was believed to have a flat bottom. The word ark is derived from the Egyptian uh, dialect that signifies a chest or a floating object. That's what it was meant to be. God told Noah, he said, build it out of gopher wood. We don't really know what gopher wood is, but perhaps it was cypress because the principal material for ancient shipbuilding was, according to geologists and archaeologists, cypress. And there was a lot of cypress in the Mesopotamian 
Valley where the ark was likely built. So we'll just say gopher wood because that's what the Bible said. And he told him, you pitch that ark on the outside with pitch. You pitch it on the inside, and then you, you build it three stories high. The ark had three stories in it. The ark had one window looking up toward heaven. The ark had one door. It was all by divine specification. I'm not going to go into this, but I want to give you some things to think about. How long did it take to build the ark? Well, when we preach, we just say 120 years, but I'm not sure that's exactly right, and I don't think nobody really knows because according to Genesis 6, 8 through 10, and 17 and 18, Noah already had three married sons when God initially approached him about the plans to build the ark. Stay with me here. Everybody say amen. This is, I thought, just a little interesting tidbit. Genesis 11 and 10 says that Shem was 100 years old and begat Arphaxed two years after the flood. Therefore, Shem was 98 years old when the flood ended. I know I'm confusing you. And about 96 when it began. The ark would have been built sometime between Shem's marriage and its 96th birthday. And according to Genesis chapter 5, most men in those days did not marry until they were 65 years old. So this suggests that the ark could have been, now I'm not putting this in stone, I'm just telling you, this suggests that the ark was built during 31 years between Shem's marriage and the beginning of the flood. 31 years is still a long time to build an ark. Everybody say amen. So could Noah's ark house all the animals? I'm not going to get into all the statistics, but they've studied that. And, 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 and there's a great portion of the animals and, and the life upon the earth that is, that is uh, the fish of the sea and, and things that could exist and dwell in water. So what Noah had to do was take seven of every clean animal and take them in and take two of every unclean male and female. So when, when, when it was about to come, the flood was about to come. Noah had to gather all these animals up and bring them into the ark. Three stories high, say 600 feet long. It's a, it's a lot of room in that kind of boat. And I can, I can tell you that uh, it, it was probably a messy voyage, to say the least. But it was God's plan to get out of the flood. So there's a lot of statistics that the writer here gives about how they all got in the ark and all that. I'm just going to tell you God designed the ark to save two of every unclean animal and seven of every clean animal. And I believe that the ark was big enough. When the ark was completed, God instructed Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their wives. That's eight people. The Bible says eight people were saved from the flood. Eight people of all the earth, of all the things that went on. And, and, and then God reached down. God reached down and closed the door when the last one was in. No more opening the door. God's, God's hand was, <coughs> excuse me, it was upon Noah and upon what was going on. 
<clears throat> I don't, I, I don't want to get into archaeology, but many have said that Noah's Ark was, was found near Mount Ararat in Turkey. And there's a lot of discussion about that. I don't know, but I believe the scriptures. I believe in the ark. I believe it was real. I believe God destroyed. There's a lot of archaeology and geology that suggests that the flood was not just for Noah's area. The flood was worldwide. The flood covered the earth, and I believe that. Noah and Ham, Sham, and Japheth were on the ark with their wives, and that's where they were for 117 days. Listen to me. The Bible said, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You got to understand that what we're studying in the Old Testament is symbolic and it, it is types and shadows of things that are coming in the New Testament. How many of you understand that tonight? When we start talking about the tabernacle, when we talk about the flood, when we talk about the ark, when we talk about the things of the Old Testament, they're there for a purpose. God was laying groundwork for what was to come. This is why all the way over in Matthew, Jesus said these words as it were in the days of Noah. Remember that the flood came. He also said through Peter, the writer of Peter, uh, in, in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 7, he said, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where's the signs of his coming? You've heard me preach this many times. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. The world perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store reserved unto the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. He destroyed it the first time. Watch me. He destroyed it the first time with a flood. He's going to destroy it the second time with fire. It's in the book. It's in the book. What happened in the days of Noah? Great wickedness. Earth full of violence. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah and his family were safe. Ungodly were punished by the flood. What's going to happen in the days of the coming of the Son of Man? Evil and seducer, evil men and seducers are going to be here. Perilous times, Paul told Timothy. The gospel's going to be preached in all the world. Saints are going to be spared the wrath of God. And ungodly are going to be punished with fire. As it were in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Next chart, please. Amen. This one isn't on for me tonight. I don't know why, but I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. Amen. The third, so this took us, this takes us to the third dispensation. We leave the dispensation of conscience, and it, and it ended in judgment because 
God said, I've had enough of wicked man, and I'm going to send a flood, and I'm going to destroy everything, man and beast. Basically, if I could tell you this, God started all over. He didn't go back and have to create everything, but he minimized it down to so few, he just reaped. Uh, what, what is it you punch on a computer? Reset. He just did a little reset. He saved eight people, all the animals, all the fish, all the birds. He saved a few, but he let everything else die. The Bible said he repented that he made a man. He was sorry that man was even on the earth. And conscience ended in judgment. Well, it brought on another dispensation, a period of time where God deals with man in a certain way, and this period of time is called human government. It's chart three. Notice here. First of all, Noah made a covenant with God. When Noah came off the ark and, and the ark landed, and, and you know, you remember this, uh, he sent a, a dove out, and it came back. And he sent a dove out, and it came back. And he sent a dove out, and it finally didn't come back. And he knew the flood was subsiding by the dove not coming back. Everybody say amen. So men became responsible after that for governing one another. Thus began another period of time when God was dealing with man in a certain way. Noah and his family left the ark. They built an altar. They offered burnt sacrifices unto God. But Noah and, and, and God made a covenant. Now, a covenant is a mutual agreement or contract. God made a covenant with Noah. He made a contract with him. You know what he said? I'm never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. And here's the sign. When you see a rainbow, that's just simply saying God's still in contract. He's never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. He made Noah that promise. God promised he would never again curse the ground or destroy all the inhabitants of the earth by flood waters. Peter declares that in his text that I read to you. So prior to the flood, man's diet had been vegetarian. From this time forward, he was now permitted to eat the flesh of animals, and if the blood were properly drained, God also established the law. Or God also established the law of capital punishment. Right here, here's what He said. I want to read it to you. I I get this question sometimes. You believe in capital punishment? I do, because the Bible believes in capital punishment. God said, Genesis nine. Verse 4, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of man and at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. 
If you shed a man's blood and you kill him, your life is required of you. It's right there. Do I believe in mercy? Yes. Do I believe in repentance? Yes. But do I believe that there's sometimes capital punishment that is legitimate? I'm stepping way out on a limb. Yes, I do. To seal this covenant, God gave us that rainbow. So Noah's three sons multiply. It's on the chart. Three sons, Shem, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. The entire world was to be repopulated. He told them, go and replenish the earth. That's what I pick about with these young couples. I said, well, you're doing what the Bible said. The Bible said go replenish the earth. You're replenishing the earth when you have a bunch of young'uns. Amen. Besides that, you're helping Sunday school. From the fruit of his vineyard, Noah got drunk. And he lay naked in his tent. Here's a story for you. And while he was in this shameful condition, his youngest son, Ham, failed to show proper respect for covering up his father. And rather, he mocked Noah's drunkenness. When the other two boys came, Shem and Japheth, they took a garment and laid it over, the sh over their father's shoulders and walked backward out of the tent to cover his shame. Some of you didn't know this. When Noah woke up and learned of what Ham had done, he made some amazing predictions. I call it prophecies that included blessings and cursing upon his three sons. And by the spirit of prophecy, Noah exposed the lustful tendencies of Ham, his son, in Canaan. He said this, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Because he didn't cover his father up. He exposed the nakedness of his father. The curse could come through Canaan, although indirectly through Ham. Already the grandson must have been walking in his father's profane ways. So Shem, meaning renown, would be exalted and his descendants especially blessed. Look at that red line. That's Shem's descendants. Shem was blessed. Japheth and his descendants, God said, God shall enlarge Japheth, meaning his people would be numerous and prosperous and productive. So what this chart talks about is that Noah had a covenant, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, received blessings and cursings, as you see on the right. And at this time, the whole earth was of one language. Everybody say one language. Say one speech. The beginning of nations began in the next chart, please. Oh, yeah, the next chart. The dispersion, the, the beginning of nations. I'm going to hit this very quickly. Shem, Ham, and Chapeth, uh, the, the sons of Ham, meaning burning heat, Ham meant burning heat, migrated southward toward the climates in Arabia and the continent of Africa. Sham, the favored messianic line from whom the Messiah would come, 
represented the Semitic people, the Jews. And of course, these, these people were dispersed and, and going in different directions. But Ham, in his descendants, came a man that was his grandson by the name of Nimrod. Anybody ever heard of Nimrod? Nimrod is a type of the Antichrist. Nimrod of the Old Testament. Now listen to me. The Bible said in Genesis 11 and 4, Nimrod was a, he was a, he was a sharp cookie, let me tell you. But he was also a rebellious man. And he didn't, he didn't honor God. This is where humanism actually began in the Old Testament. Because they said in Genesis 11 and 4, they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach up into heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. I'm, I'm going to hit this very quickly. Nimrod represents the first type of the Antichrist in the Old Testament where humanism arose and he started building a tower, the Bible said, unto the heavens. And God looked down. It was called the Tower of Babel. God looked down and said, I got to stop this because people, these people will do what they set their mind to do. And God said, I'm going to shut this down. So one day, they all come to work. And the Masons couldn't understand the carpenters. And the carpenters couldn't understand the helpers. Bottom line is, they were all speaking different languages. You want to know how nations began? It began because God dispersed Babel. He took Nimrod's project and caused people to start speaking different languages to where they could not understand. You go read the scriptures. It's in the Bible. The confusion of Babel caused nations to be dispersed. Notice Ham went down toward Egypt and into the continent of Africa. Shem, you, you, I, the errors are, are a little bit confusing, but Shem is the red errors. Japheth is the yellow errors. Ham is the green errors. Remember that Ham had a, he had a curse upon him. He was going to be a servant to the others. So what, what we're saying here is that this precise point is where nations began and languages began because the descendants of Ham were speaking one language and they were dispersed. The descendants of Japheth, another language, they were dispersed. The, the descendants of Japheth, does everybody understand where I'm coming from? At the Tower of Babel, the speakers of tongues were confused. But on the day of Pentecost, the listeners were confused. I just thought I'd throw that in. Pentecost marked the reversal of Babel. That's something to study. The Bible said in Genesis 11 and 9, therefore is the name of, the, of, of it Babel, because the Lord did confound the languages of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew language, the word Babel means confusion. God caused confusion. Let me tell you what. 
the New Testament scripture said God's not the author of confusion and he never intends for his church to be in confusion, but he confused the sinner and the type of the Antichrist to destroy the projects that they were doing against God. So Satan's strategy involved two methods to prevent the God-man redeemer from freeing mankind. He wanted to destroy the knowledge of God upon the earth, and he wanted to destroy the righteous seed of the woman. But God is always one step ahead of the devil. Amen? God can see the future. Remember we studied this? The devil is not omnipresent. The devil is not omniscient. The devil, are you with me? He's not omnipotent. He doesn't know everything. He doesn't fill all space and time. And he is not everywhere. He's not everywhere. He doesn't know everything. And he's certainly not all-powerful because God said, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. I got to hurry. With that thing on, I don't have a clock. I can teach as long as I want to. I got to hurry. Next chart, please. So that's where nations and languages started. Abraham, father of the faithful. What a story. I hope I can get through all this tonight. Abraham, the father of the faithful. Uh, God found a man by the name of Abram. His name was not Abraham at the time. He found a righteous man, and he chose him. Why would God withdraw from the human race in, in general to deal with one person? He did. He found Abram, and he found him in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. And, and Abram, he, uh, he called him out. Could, maybe, maybe if I could just tell you the highlights of his story. After the flood, men sought, they sought explanations for the source of life, and they experimented, and they worshiped all kind of gods of wood and stone and animals and rivers and trees and, and all kind of things. They, and God was looking for a righteous man that would serve him. And he found one by the name of Abram. He found a man that was willing to leave his country. Notice here with me, the first 11 chapters of Genesis covered about 2,000 years into time. Half the duration of the whole Old Testament was the first 11 chapters of Genesis. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting to me because the next 2,000 years that we're going to study is a lot of stuff, but those things that we've already studied covered 2,000 years in time. So now God finds Abraham, or Abram it was, the father of the faithful, and he calls him out. The word, the Hebrew word for covenant, I want you to get this, is a verb signifying to cut or to divide. Now when I was a kid, we used to, we we bunch of crazy boys. We'd nick nick ourselves and get a little blood, and somebody else get blood. And we'd rub it together. Y'all don't know nothing about that. And we were what? You got it, Dana. Blood brothers. Anybody ever done that beside me? I won't see if I'm the only stupid one. Yeah, there's a few stupid but me. Yeah, we we thought that was the coolest thing, brother. We're blood brothers now. Well, you know what? It really was a thing back in old times. They cut a covenant. The method depict, 
depicted the arm of each man cut and the blood of both drawn, and they rubbed their wrists together to mingle blood, and then the two became officially blood brothers. That was a, that was a, a cultural thing back then. But God called Abraham, and, he, and he, he cut a covenant with him. He cut a contract with him. Do you know that Abraham is the only man of the Old Testament that God called his friend? The only man, go find it, go look it up. He's the only man in the Old Testament. God said, Abraham's my friend. He, he loved Moses, he loved Elijah, he loved Elisha, he loved Joshua, he loved Caleb, he loved all. But he, he said, Abraham is my friend. He is a friend of God. That's why we sing, I am a friend of God. Because we want to be like Abraham, we want to be God's friend. So when Abraham pledged his very life to God, a threefold promise was given to him. Financial blessing, physical blessing, and spiritual blessing. His descendants, the, the covenant said, would inherit the country of Canaan as an everlasting possession. They're there right now. He would be given extensive posterity with descendants as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven. In other words, you're going to have kids, you're going to have a family that's not even able to number. That's happened. Through him would emerge the spiritual seed, Jesus Christ. And he would have abundant financial prosperity. So the covenant between God and Abraham was mutual and reciprocal. And, and all that both God and Abraham had belonged to each other. God called him out and he said, I want you to go. I'm going to give you a land that, that you, you don't see. Abraham stepped out by faith. You got to notice this. He left his father, his mother, his sister, his brother. His, he left everything. He left everything. Left home to follow and look for a city whose builder and maker was God. This is why we called Abraham the father of the faithful. The Bible said Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. That's what he was. So God made this promise, this covenant. You see it on the left. And, and, and to, make sure, to make sure that Abraham's kids knew about the covenant. Does anybody know what the sign of the covenant of the Jews were from Abraham's day on? Circumcision. And there's blood involved in circumcision. And there was a blood covenant that God <clears throat> brought to pass with Abraham. All of Abraham's kids and Abraham's descendants on the eighth day had to be circumcised or they were not legitimate descendants of Abraham. You got to remember that. Amen? So God's covenant sign was circumcision. You can read about it in the scripture. It was a visible mark and sign in a man's flesh that he had been separated unto God. The Gentiles, that's us. Who's a Gentile? Everybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. The Gentiles become Abraham's heirs. How? As we proceed through these lessons in the next few weeks, you're going to notice various events in Old Testament days that had rich, multiple meanings, such as circumcision. And the Scripture calls these figures or shadows of things to come. We are not 
We do not have to be circumcised in the flesh, but to be a child of God, we take New Testament circumcision, and that is water baptism. It is the sign of entering into a covenant with God. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Water baptism is the sign of entering into the covenant of God. So when we go down in water, we go down the old man. When we come up, we come up as a descendant of Abraham because we are circumcised by water. It's circumcision of the New Testament. You might as well say amen. That's good stuff. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And if ye be Abraham's, or excuse me, if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Romans 4.16. Therefore it is a faith that it might be great by grace to the end of the promise might be sure all the seed, not to own not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is also, which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Abraham believed God. Abraham had circumcision. Now, what happens, <clears throat> what happens next is Abraham began to prosper, and God began to bless him. And there's a, a fellow by the name of Lot that was Abraham's nephew that went with him and left Ur of the Chaldees. He was blessed. And it got so it got so that Abraham was so blessed and Lot was so blessed and they had so many herds and so many children and so many servants and so many wives till God spoke to Abraham and he said, I want you to, I want you to go to Lot and if he takes the south, I'll give you the north. If he takes the east, I'll give you the west. I'll give you, I'll give you the land. And, and so he went to Lot and he said, you know what, our, 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 uh, our herds are too many. Our servants are too many to dwell us to, for us to dwell together. He wasn't mad. He said, "We need to separate." And so he gave Lot the choice. And Lot looked down and saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. Grass, beautiful, everything. He thought, "This is where I'll raise my kids. This is where I'll grow my crops. This is where my cattle will feed." And he was blessed. And he chose the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was. Jordan. And, and when he got through choosing, God said, Abraham, look far as you can look to the east. Look far as you can to the west. Look at it. I want you to see what I'm going to give you because I'm going to give you the rest of the land. It's going to belong to you. Everything that you see, I'm going to give it to you. And Abraham and Lot <clears throat> separated. They stayed separated for a while. Uh, until finally God saw the iniquity of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he told Abraham, he said, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and Abraham, being the faithful man that he was, prayed a prayer. He said, God, would you not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if I can find 50 people that is righteous? And the Lord said, okay, I won't. And Abraham looked and couldn't find 50 people. So he went back to the Lord and he said, if I find 40, would you not destroy 
And so bottom line is Abraham bargained with God over and over until he got him down to 10 people. And did you know that there were not 10 righteous people, not 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah? And so by the prayer of Abraham, God sent two angels inside of Sodom and Gomorrah and they found Lot sitting at the gate and they went to Lot's house that night. While, we're all adults here, so I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. While they were in Lot's house spending the night, the perverts of Sodom tried to get to the, the angels. They knew them as men and they saw them as men, but they were angels of God. And they tried to bring them out. The Bible said that they may know them. That means to have intimate relationship with them. That's how perverted Sodom and Gomorrah was. So God blinded them. God hedged them. God stopped them from, from getting to those angels. And when morning came, the angels took Lot and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, led them outside the city, and this is what he th- they said to them. Escape unto the mountains. Look not behind thee, lest thou be consumed with the iniquity of the city. They, they just simply said, don't look back. And Lot and his two daughters went up the hill, and Miss Lot couldn't stand it. Somebody said that they got her out of Sodom, but they didn't get Sodom out of her. It must have been a pretty rough and powerful story because Jesus in the New Testament stopped his teaching one day and said, remember Lot's wife. And while on the side of that mountain with God trying to deliver her with the touch of angels, I feel like I could preach right now. With the touch of angels on her hand, she turned around and turned into a pillar of salt when she could have been saved just a little higher up the mountain. Everybody with me? So Lot and his two daughters were saved. His wife turned into a pillar of salt on the side of a mountain. But Lot didn't go far enough because he went to a little town called Zoar that was just a little ways up on the mountain. And, and there, there, his daughters got him drunk. And they went in and had sex with him, each one of them. And there was incest. And they both, I'm just being honest, okay? They both got pregnant. And out of their pregnancies was born two nations, one by the name of Moab and one by the name of Amnon, who was a thorn in Israel's side from that day until now. The judgments of God. And that dispensation ended. And so, hurriedly, to the fourth dispensation. See, we're covering a lot of times, and when we get to that sixth one, that's where we are right now. That's where we are right now. You'll see. But the fourth dispensation was a dispensation of promise. So Abraham, he's 100 years old, and his wife Sarah is 90. And God says, you're going to have a baby. 
Now look, my mom will be 90 in May, but if she come told me she's pregnant, I'm calling, I'm calling the inquiry. We fixing to be rich. What a story. Do you understand? The Bible said Sarah laughed. She, she, when they said, you're going to have a baby, she said, you big? Are you crazy? She laughed. Insomuch that as time went by and there was no promise, child, insomuch that she instructed Abraham to go into one called Hagar. Hagar was a bondwoman. And, and so she convinced Abraham to go into Hagar. And Hagar had a child. And his name was Ishmael. Amen? God, that's not the promise of God. They tried to do it in man's way. God said, no, no, there's a promised child. I'm going to give you the promised child, Sarah. And sure enough, at 90 years old, Sarah had a baby. And Abraham loved Isaac. You see up on the left-hand side. Well, when, when Isaac was born, it was a day that Ishmael was making fun of him and mocking him, the Bible said. And, you know, as moms do, they get involved in kids' fights sometimes. This is a pretty serious matter. So Sarah said, you get rid of Hagar and Ishmael and get them out of here. And Abraham no doubt loved Ishmael, but he did as Sarah wanted. And he got rid of, of, of Ishmael and Hagar, and pardon me if I can just put it in our vernacular so you can understand it, he sent them packing. He sent them away. Well, Ishmael, you see that round circle on the top left side? It says Arab nation. That's the father of the Arab nation. Isaac is the father, or in the Abraham lineage, he is the father of the of the Israelites or the Israeli nation. Who's fighting over there right now? Who's been fighting there for years? Ishmael and Isaac. The fight still goes on 2,000 years or way more than that, 4,000 years later. So, so this, is how, this is how that story went. And then Isaac, the son of promise, God says to Abraham one day, y'all got time for me to finish? God says to Abraham one day, he said, I want you to take your son, your only son. Notice what God said, your only son. He did not even acknowledge that Ishmael was his son. He said, take your son, your only son, because God gave Abraham and Sarah this boy. And he said, I want you to take your only son, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice unto me. Now, God had done his part as the as a co of the covenant, but he was testing Abraham. And Abraham took his boy and took a servant and took a donkey, and they took a three-day journey to a place called Mount Moriah. And at the bottom of that mountain, Abraham says, Servant, you stay here with the donkey. The lad and I are going to worship. Ah, there's enough sermons right here that a preacher could preach for six years. We're going to worship. Oh, you're going to kill your son. No, we're going to worship. We're going to worship. And so he took Isaac, the lad of a boy, and Isaac carrying the wood, 
and Abraham's got the knife, and, 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 and they get to the top of the mountain, and they build the altar, and they lay the wood on the altar, and little Isaac looks up at Daddy and said, he says, here's the, here's the wood, or here's the altar, and here's, here's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham spoke prophetically because he said, God will provide himself a sacrifice, right? And when he lays Isaac, he binds him up and lays him on the altar, and he's, he's about to go through with this. And can you imagine the heartbreak of Abraham? He's about to kill the promise of his life, and he raises his hand, and he's about to put the knife through the boy's heart. And God stopped him and said, Now I know. I just wanted to see if you're going to hold up your side of the covenant. I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. But he said, now I know. I know where your faith is. I know where your love is. I know what you. I know how you feel about me. Now I know. And, and, and a little rustling over in the bushes, and there was a ram caught in the bushes, and God provided a ram, and he brought him and laid him on the altar and took the sacrifice and offered it unto God. He did worship, and he was willing to use his own son for worship. These are stories that you've got to know. Why? Look at that bloodline right down through Abraham, right down through Isaac. And then, y'all really don't have time for me to tell this story or to finish these charts. I know you don't. But if I don't finish them tonight, i got to come back next week and do it. And th this is important stuff right here. This is where the dispensation of promise is, and this is, this is how it all started. So give me 10 minutes, okay? I'll hurry. Isaac had a wife by the name of Rebecca, and she had twins. Their names were Jacob and Esau. Jacob was, that word means supplanter. Esau meant red and hairy. In the womb, they wrestled. And when Esau, the firstborn, came into this world in life, Jacob had a hold of his heel. This is in the Bible. And was trying to pull himself ahead. Esau was a hunter. Jacob, was he was a man of the house. He wasn't my kind of guy, but he wanted the things of God. Esau was more my kind of guy, but not at heart because he didn't have the heart of God. So in those days, the firstborn received the blessing from the father and the birthright. And, and, and so Isaac, in his old years, Rebecca, his wife, heard him tell Esau, go kill a deer. Bring me some venison. And when you bring it to me, I'm going to give you the birthright and the blessing. And she grabs Jacob up. And they go out and they kill a lamb. And she doctors it up to, to taste like venison. I don't know how you do that, but she did. And Isaac puts the hair, the skin of the, 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 the sheep upon his hands and upon the back of his neck. And he goes in with this lamb to deceive his old blind daddy. And he said, I'm here for my blessing. And Isaac said, How'd you, how, did you, how did you 
how did you kill a deer so fast? I'm paraphrasing, but it's all in the Bible. You go check me out. And, and he said, the Lord sent him to me. And he said, come near. And he did. He said, it's the voice of Jacob. Let me feel your hands. And he put his hands out, and they were hairy. And he said, let me feel the back of your neck. And he, put the, he leaned down, and the dad said, Isaac, his old feeble Isaac in his dying state, said, it's the voice of Jacob, but it's the hands of Esau. And he blessed him, and he pronounced blessing and gave him birthright. And so all of this happened because, watch this, the supplanter Jacob he was cooking one day and had a good bowl of soup going. And Esau comes in out of the field, and he's hungry. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you the birthright. I'll sell it to you for a bowl of that soup. Come on, that's brothers. Well, old Jacob, he said, okay, it's a deal. I'll, I'll, you can have some soup. I'll, I'll, I'll feed you soup. You give me the birthright. And, and there was an exchange made. Isaac wasn't there, but Jacob remembered. And when it came time for the birthright, Jacob went in and got the blessing and the birthright from Isaac. And when Esau showed up, he had it venison, and he brought it into his dad. And his dad, trembling, said, I've already given the blessing. To, to, to Jacob, I can't bless you. I can't, I can't give you the birthright. I gave it to your brother. And, of course, Esau decided he was going to kill Jacob. And, and Jacob, Jacob had to flee for his life. I'm hurrying here. I, there's a lot of stuff I need to talk about. Jacob, the Bible tells us, when he left, when he left that, that meeting that day or that house that day running for his life, he laid down that first night away from home and he had a vision of angels ascending and descending and he knew God was with him. And, 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 and he ran for his life. He hooked himself up with a man in another country by the name of Laban. Laban. It was his uncle. And he worked for Uncle Laban. And he said he saw this beautiful, beautiful girl. And he said, uh, I'll work seven years for her. Okay, it's a deal. So Jacob worked seven years, and wedding day comes, and she's got the veil on. And when she pulls the veil off, he didn't have Rachel. He had old ugly Leah. Do you think maybe the supplanter got supplanted? Do you think maybe he reaped a little bit of what he sowed in his earlier life? And he was disappointed, but he didn't quit. That's my guy. He said, I'll work seven more years if you'll give me Rachel. And he worked seven more years, and Rachel, Rachel came to be his wife. He worked six and a half more years, and then he said, I got to go home. God's blessed me. Told Laban he was leaving, left. Go read all of this. It's a, it's a fantastic story if you go read it. It's just absolutely phenomenal. I can't put in all the details. But he got close to home, and guess what? He heard Esau was coming with 400 men, and he thought, oh, my goodness, I'm about to lose my life. So he sends part of his family away in one direction, the other another direction so his family wouldn't get destroyed. And Jacob, in, in, in Genesis chapter 32, had an experience that we all need to have. He spent a night with God. And let me tell you, 
the angel of the Lord came. Well, we call it an angel. I, I, I know this is going to be questioned. We call it an angel. Some said it's God. I, I will just tell you that he wrestled with God because whatever figure it was, whether it was an angel or a theophany of God, we know God's a spirit, but at times he has put on a body, and at times he came in a bush, and you'll see that in a few in the next lesson. But, but the facts are that Jacob had an experience with God, and he said, and the angel said, or God said, let me go. And he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And sometime in the wee morning hours, the Bible said he was touched in the hollow of his thigh. And I personally believe that Jacob limped the rest of his days because he was a crippled man after his experience with God. On that day, uh, and, and when he got up, well, here's what, here's what was told him, and God, God had to do this. He said, because thou hast prevailed, because you've won this wrestling match, Jacob, you won't let me go. I'm going to tell you, because you have prevailed, your name shall be no, no longer called Jacob. You're no longer a supplanter. He said, your name is going to be called Israel, for thou art a prince with God and with man. What a story. So he gets up, and when he gets to Esau, Esau falls upon him. Esau literally left the land of his father and said, I'll move so you can have this. I've left all my notes. I'm telling you things from heart tonight. But Jacob was a new man with a new name. Jacob had 12 sons. I'm going to make it. I got two minutes. Jacob had 12 sons. Israel became a nation through the 12 sons of Jacob. But I got to tell you about those 12 sons. One of them he loved more than the others, and he made him a coat of many colors. Does anybody know his name? And Joseph made all of his brothers mad because he was a dreamer, and he would have dreams of his brothers bowing down to him. And he made them all mad. And one day, he, was, he stayed home while all the other guys were out in the field, tending the sheep and tending the herds. And so his father calls him in. He sends him down with food to his brothers. His brother sees him coming, and they decided to kill him. And Judah said, no, 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 no. Simeon, I believe it was, said, no, no, no. We can't, we can't kill him. I'm, 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 I'm doing this by memory tonight. I'm not one of my notes anymore. So they took him, and they took his coat off him, and they threw him in a pit. They took his coat and, and killed an animal and put blood all over it and took it back, took it back to Jacob, his father, Israel, his father, and said, must have been a bad animal that got your son. Here's his coat. And his father was so distraught. They put him in a pit. Along comes a caravan. They sell him. They took him out of the pit and they sell him. And he goes down, he goes down into Egypt. And he is sold as a slave to Potiphar's house. It wasn't long before Potiphar saw how brilliant and how wonderful a man he was and he raises him up and puts him in charge of everything. But Miss Potiphar the devil's such a liar and he's such a trickster. Miss Potiphar tried to get to him and tried to seduce him. And she literally grabbed him by his cloak and he ran out of his coat to get away from sin. You better do the same thing if anybody gets a hold of you. It's okay to run out of your coat. When she told Potiphar, she accused him. And Potiphar put him in prison. Wasn't long. 
before he rose in prison. And he was interpreting the dreams of the prisoners. And when the butler and the baker got out, guess what? Or was it just the butler? One of them got out and went to the went back to Pharaoh's palace. And when Pharaoh had a dream, didn't know how to interpret it. They said, we know a guy can do that. And they called Joseph out of the prison. And he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh. And he said, there's going to be seven years of plenty. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh got Joseph out of prison. Watch this. He went from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison to the palace. Isn't that just like God? So he's there, and he's taking care, and, and the seven years of plenty come, and he puts all the food back. He becomes literally the food administrator, second in command in, in, that, in that country except to Pharaoh. I mean, Pharaoh was the only one above him. I probably should have waited the next week because I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff here, if I, but it's in your notes. You go study it. So, so his brothers, being hungry in another country, come down, and he offers them food, they pay for it, but he recognized them. They didn't recognize him. He tests them. He puts stuff in their bag, and then he sends all the guards after him and the, the soldiers, and they bring them back, and they said, we didn't do that. You know, bottom line, they, he finally convinces them to bring their father down, and when Jacob, fin- or, or excuse me, Israel finally comes, when, when Joseph reveals himself, guess what his brothers are doing Exactly what the dream said, what he told them at the beginning, because they knelt before him. They didn't even know who he was. They knelt before him, and when he finally reveals himself, they go get their father, and Israel and his 12 sons come down to Egypt, 70 or about 70 people, and they were there 400 years and grew to three to five million strong because God formed the nation of Israel in a foreign land. Everybody with me? I'm going to stop right there. I'll try to catch some of it next week. But this is how Israel became a nation. 